Good evening, everyone. Thank you for inviting me here this evening. It's my first time. And so with that, there's some anticipation about uh, meeting you all. And also what the Lord might have for us this evening. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Such a blessing, a privilege, an opportunity we have. And not because I'm here, but probably more in spite of me being here. May the Lord show us some goodness and grace. You know, there's um, a thing I heard that, that said the problem with being lazy and not doing anything all day is you, know, you never quite know when you're done. Well, I thought the same, the same can be true even if you're busy. Even if you're working, you're putting a lot into it. Sometimes we don't know when we're done with that either. But then there was something else I thought in relation to the uh, message this evening, and, and that is, was uh, a thing I remember with the cartoon Dennis the Menace. And he was drawing a picture, and his dad walked by, and it was kind of a scrambled-looking thing. And his dad asked him, what, what are you drawing? He said, well, I won't know until I'm done. And I'm thinking that might be a little bit the way with the service this evening. I'm not sure when I'm going to be done or what it's going to be until we're done. And so I want to let the Lord have some say-so in that, because I feel like what I have to, tonight is might be a little bit of a hodgepodge of a sermon. I have a lot of things on my mind and, and some different directions that could go. But one thing that was on my mind this evening is the verse, the knowledge of good and evil, that concept. I might write it up here on the board, since we have such a nice chalkboard here. If I hold myself a little funny, it's because I got a back crank in my back this morning, so I hope that's not a distraction. The knowledge of Good. I like good, so I'm going to capitalize it. And evil doesn't need to be capitalized. And so that comes, that thought comes to us from Genesis chapter 2. Now before man fell, I guess you could say he didn't have the knowledge of good and evil because there was that tree and they were forbidden to, to eat of that tree. And I assume by eating of that tree, there was something that imparted to them that knowledge of good and evil, something God did not desire for them to have. Then because of the fall of man, because they did eat of that tree, they entered into what you could call, call a downgrade it was a downgrade from what they had. And this, this has happened in Scripture with a lot of the men of the Bible. If you think about the first two kings of Israel, King Saul, he started out good. He crossed the line and he was downgraded, so to speak. David experienced the same thing with his failure. And after that, he never walked quite in the strength that he had before. Uh, 
in all of those cases, those people, those men in each of those circumstances, they would have had the grace they could have continued with the Lord because the Lord did not give up on them. Adam and Eve did not die. They did not cease to exist when they sinned. But rather they were dead while they liveth. There's that description of that in the Bible where, where we're told in a certain situation, we are dead while we're living. And that's where they found themselves. But in that situation then, when they did have that knowledge of good and evil, then they were, came under a certain circumstance where God was able to work with them, but in a different way. I think of the Israelites when they failed to possess the land. The Lord set up some more different perimeters that they were to walk in in a little different situation. So now what we have in our day, we have this thought of the knowledge of good and evil in Hebrews chapter 5. where it says we are to pursue to be able to discern between good and evil. Since that is where we find ourselves, God frames it a little different way. And he says that there are those who, by reason of use, by reason of use, they exercise their senses to discern between good and evil. That is the calling in our day. For the people of God to walk in that understanding. Now I'm going to write another verse up here. As a man thinketh in his heart. What is it? Does anybody know? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So is he. Proverbs 23. Now why am I writing this up there? I think, I think when you see words, just like up here, it stands out to you. It has a little more impact on you than when you just hear the word. And so maybe as we're writing this up there, the Lord will bring to my mind some thoughts we need to think concerning that. That comes from Proverbs 23, so I invite you there for a second to consider something. Verses 1 through 7. I think maybe we use this verse a little bit out of context. Or we maybe we add to the, we expand the meaning of it beyond what's in the Bible, and that's not all bad. But it starts out here, it says, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Eat, eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye? Neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's our verse there concerning the man in his heart. As he thinketh, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. Now that's in a negative uh, context. 
And we usually think of, of this verse in, a, in that way, in, in a bad light. That, but re, the reality is, as we think in our hearts, so is we. That, that could work the other way, right? That could work to our advantage in a, in a good, positive measure. When I read this passage here, and it's talking about considering how you handle yourself, how you behave in, in a certain setting with a ruler, maybe where you're brought into an, a little bit of an exalted position, a flattered position, where someone's trying to pump you up, and, and maybe, you, maybe you've just been put there on a pedestal in, in an event in your life, and you're not quite sure what to do with it. The Lord is saying, in that setting, don't take leave of your senses. Just, you know, don't let it go to your head where you're at. And don't let the, the, uh, the pomp and the show of life cause you to act intemperately. Or It talks about eating, but I think it could, it could mean other things in life where we would. And I start thinking of these scammers that come around and, and there's a caution there with, with that flattery or a salesman as they try to sell you something. If, if you're disposed to desire riches and to desire something where it talks about here, labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom, and setting your eyes upon that which is not. That, that really pertains to some things in life that we can get caught up in, setting our eyes on things that are really not for us or, or even existing, but because our imagination and or the vanity of our imagination. And in verse 6, I see a little bit what could be described as an, as an unequal yoke, where you eat not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. So I'm thinking at some point we have to discern if there's an evil eye involved in, in what we are seeing and what we are relating to with the people we meet. And that, that causes a need for discernment. I'm going to write another verse down here. If we would, maybe some of you can't read all this. I'm too big in the way here, but if we would judge, if we would judge ourselves, can anyone finish that one? We would not be judged. We should not be judged. Very good. We should not be judged. First Corinthians 11. I've pondered a little bit that verse, thinking maybe the Lord is calling us to evaluate ourselves, discern some things about ourselves, maybe call into question where we are in order that down the road that work does not have to be done later. In the NIV, that verse says, if we were more discerning in regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Now, there's one more verse I would like to write here this evening. 
you can see my mind is kind of all over the place. <laughs> but this is a, uh, a call, another call from the Lord. It says to possess, possess the land. Possess the land. Numbers 33, 53. And we notice the failure of the people of the children of Israel to possess the land. It was a very, it was a very big failure. It changed the course of what God was able to do. Is there land that God is asking us to possess and to step into in our day? So I'm going to try to put some of these thoughts together, and I may not get to all of them here this evening. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, Friday, I, we have a, a family chat with my siblings. I have, I'm the youngest of six children, and so we have a, a, a way to communicate electronically with a communication app, and so we'll share things. And Friday was shared at something that interested me, and it was a link to a conversation that that two men were having concerning a, a study that was done, an interview where they did an experiment. I might just read what, what happened here in regard to uh, to this experiment. It said they did an experiment with a group of people where they put scars on their faces and they told these women they were going into a job interview. And the purpose of the experiment is to find out whether people with facial disfigurement face discrimination. They showed them the scars in the mirror. They saw themselves with these scars and as they led them out of the room, they said, we're just going to touch it up a bit. And as they touched it up, they completely removed the scar. And so the people went into this job interview, and it was, it was a real job interview, thinking they had this on their face, thinking they were a part of an experiment to see whether this would affect their job interview. And maybe you can kind of guess what happened. The result of the experiment is that those people came back reporting massively increased level of discrimination. Indeed, many of them came back with comments that the interviewer had made that they felt were referencing their facial dis disfigurement. Now, I don't know how they carried all this out. I guess as they came out of the interview, they pretended to take that, that fake scar off or whatever it was. But it illustrated that the ideology that people develop as I am a victim, I have this problem, and it affects the way they perceive that people relate to them. And so, you know, if you preach constantly to people that we're oppressed, we're, we're, we're you know, we're just under all this duress, then that is what people look for, and that is what they believe about themselves. And so what are the judgments we are making if we would judge ourselves, and we do it by Scripture, of course? Are we making the right judgments 
about ourselves because that can work the other way. If you believe what the Lord says about you in a good way, that can work to your advantage too. And I responded on the chat. I said, I think that experiment explains a lot about what goes on in the world and possibly the church too. And it gives a whole new meaning to as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what you're imagining is often what you will look for. And the things you believe, even if they're true, even if they're true, if that's what you're looking for, more than likely that will be what you encounter. They say with, with these downhill skiers, and they're weaving down the hill through the trees, they say, don't look at the trees, look at the path through the trees. Otherwise, you will hit the tree if that's what you're looking for. And then my sister jumped in, and she shared something. I thought I would share this here as well tonight. <clears throat> she told a story of, of a personal uh, situation or, you know, a real-life situation that she saw there in, in Georgia's where she lives. But she said years ago, there was a black guy who, who bagged groceries at our local grocery store. He was unusually short. In addition, he was significantly deformed. His arms were a little short, and as I recall, he had no fingers. His hands were just like big flexible cones that came down to a rounded point. The first thing about him that you noticed was how lightning fast he worked. This was a fellow working in a grocery store. The second thing was how completely oblivious he seemed that he had any handicaps of any nature. He was professional and engaging and happy. The authentic confidence and competence that emanated from him was absolutely genuine. Sometimes he worked as a cashier and had to pull all the groceries through and then ring them up, take the cash, and make change with his short arms and his flexible cones, she called them. You could hardly drag your eyes away. He just did it quickly. No doubt everyone stared. And so maybe you've known people like that that have an obvious problem, a defect, that they make the best of. They work. They're efficient. They, you wouldn't even know it. And perhaps they're even doing a better job than the, than the ones that don't have that. She said he could have pulled the minority card. He could have pulled the short man card. He could certainly have pulled the disabled card, but he was too busy being a conqueror to give any time to that nonsense. And she goes on and tells how he left that job, he went on to another job and, and got into media, and they lost track of him, they didn't see him for a long time, and they found out later that he was using his voice to do commercials. So maybe if you hear a commercial, the things we don't like, that's him, but... He, he took advantage of the, the gifts he had, and he worked it out. It just, it just spoke to me that we, um, you know, in our personality types, we, we have differences. We can be negative. We can be more on the positive side, sometimes to a fault. We can certainly be negative to a, to a fault. But I think where it becomes serious is where we fail to take God at his word and his promises. These things shouldn't depend on our personality types. And that was, to me, uh, uh, the, the bearing behind a lot of the turning points in the failures that you see 
with the children of Israel, their failure to possess the land. And we just came through studying the book of Hebrews in our Sunday school, and if you remember, Hebrews emphasized that failure to possess the land, and it applied it to what we do as Christians it's in, our, in our time. It was a failure to believe a promise. How do we discern between good and evil by reason of use? And I believe it's having our senses exercised as it talks about. I think it's talking about our five senses. You know, the, the way we live our lives. There may be a, a sixth sense you talk about. We use that at times, or, or maybe the, the sense of the Holy Spirit within our spirit, but we, we still use our faculties. We operate in this world. We, we live, move, and have our being in the flesh. And so we have to navigate some things at times. And I like Romans 2.12. It talks about the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? It is by the renewing of our mind that we are able to make good judgments. We all need that, whether we're born again or not. A renewing of the mind is what leads us into being able to have that capability to better access, evaluate the will of God in the situations of life that come to us. The good will of God, the acceptable will of God, and the perfect will of God. It comes by reading the scripture through prayer. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Through that we realize that to be able to not sin against thee we have to, to know what the sin is. And certainly throughout scripture there's the call for discernment, for judgment, for wisdom and understanding. It's essential today in knowing right from wrong, good from evil. Otherwise, we're going to be left at the mercy of a culture gone mad. The stuff you see in the world, you just shake your head at. And even within the church, we don't want to be at the mercy of, like the Bible describes, of being a every sleight of hand that comes along or wind of doctrine. We don't want to be swayed by that. We want to be established in our, in our relationship with God and in our calling and our knowledge and wisdom, being steadfast in the Lord. Our calling is to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God having a readiness to revenge all disobedience. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Being able to exercise good judgment. Philippians 1 verse 9 says this, And in this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That means making an assessment, making an evaluation, discerning and, and saying, well, this here doesn't seem quite right. There's a place to do that within the realm of the extremes of good and evil. And maybe 
God is just calling us to discern something that, that seems maybe way in the middle somewhere, a gray area, and he gives us enough discernment to put it in the, in the evil camp or in the good camp. That's what we need. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. 1 Peter 4, 17. And so the call is to, to get wisdom, to get knowledge, to pursue these things from a biblical perspective. But I like something the Bible says concerning that. It says, with all thy getting, get understanding. <laughs> with all thy getting, get understanding. And I think that relates to the way we are able, called to walk one with another in varying circumstances. Wisdom has its place, but let's couple that with the understanding that comes to us from the Holy Spirit. I'd like to move maybe into another little vein of thought now. So I'm going to erase this. Start over. Maybe that was helpful to you all. To see that. There's something about seeing it in print that maybe helps rivet in you in your mind a little bit. Now, there's something else I thought in relation to the way we live our lives. Most of you know a man named John Wesley. <clears throat> he was the uh, founder of Methodism, the Methodists. And apparently, I would say he had some degree of success with that because he became very influential. And it was because he developed methods and ways of doing things. Now, maybe methods are not always the uh, answer to be found in methods, but he developed what is called, maybe I should go out here a little farther so we can all see it. The Wesleyan quadrilateral. Big words. He didn't. He didn't come up with that term, but somebody else developed it after studying his his work. Has any of you heard of the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Well, good. I get to I get to expound on this a little more. I thought maybe y'all would help me out. But I've uh, I've looked at this and I thought you know there is some thought to this and maybe it's not that there's some hard and fast rules that we need to to set forth in this it's just a way to come to some theological understandings and so his his uh, his way of doing this was to to run the knowledge of who we are and the knowledge of our pursuit of God and the will of God, and you can put that in the middle here. Let's just put in here the, the will of God for your life. What we're striving for, and I think it's fair to say that in dealing with this, it's, it's with good intentions, people that are wanting to know the truth. Now, if you're trying to walk in the, 
in the shadows and on the outskirts of the camp, maybe this doesn't apply as good, but for people that are very interested in, in applying the will of God to their life. This, this could be helpful because we have scripture, right? That's a good starting point. That's the main thing. We go by scripture, the word of God. But there are some other things we would have to look at to say, well, that is influencing me as well in this world. One of them was, I'm going to put this over here, experience. Experience was one of them. So people run things through the filter of their experiences to arrive at where they believe the will of God is or the pursuit of God in their life. The totality of that is made up of different things in our life, whether we like it or not. And I think this is a valid one. Now, over here, what do we have? I'm just going to put this. Some people use different words. I'm just going to put logic. Logic, our minds. You could say our intellect. There's subcategories to this. Intellect. You could say rationale. Rationale. Does anyone here believe in the value of rationale? <coughs> How about reasoning, our, our power to reason? That's something from God, a gift of God. Do we not use that as well? And then at the bottom, I put this at the bottom because I I think maybe this is the least of the of the four. <laughs> he had tradition. Anyone here not affected by tradition, do you suppose? <laughs> As I look at those experience, maybe we'll expound on this in a little bit. You could, you could say experience. You could say things that affect your experience are events in your life. You could say the, the work of the Spirit or encounters of the Spirit. The way it moves. Part of our experience might be revelation that comes to us from the Word of God. Maybe we don't like that word. Maybe we think that's a little bit out there. So how about we use the word inspiration? Do we believe in inspiration? think God can inspire you? <laughs> Praise God. Do you see how a lot of this starts to affect us besides just Scripture? Tradition is to be culture. It could be your heritage. Things you are raised with, your, up, your upbringing. Your habits. <laughs> Things you're used to. I'm going to put something over here under logic. Do you ever use this faculty? Can you read that? It makes sense. 
Does it make sense? I think we run it through that filter. Does it make sense? All of these, I would say all of these, especially these bottom three, can be good or bad. They can have negative effect, they could have a positive effect. There was a story of a young man that his father was a preacher, and so he was exposed to a lot of preaching through the scripture. But his story was that the man behind the pulpit and the man behind closed doors was two different people. And it so turned him away from the gospel and from the truth that he, he left the faith. He went out and lived a dissolute life, uh, like the prodigal son type of thing. But somebody was able to bring him back out of that and, and expound to him a little better the truth of the scripture, thankfully. And they expounded, I guess you could say, like Aquila and Priscilla did in the book of Acts. They expounded, how was it, unto Apollos, the way of God more perfectly. Some people need that. They get off to a start, but you can see how his experience turned him away from Scripture. There are good parts of experience. The Bible says patience leads to experience. In a good way, I think that is the thing we are pressing into. I think of the things that happened in the book of Acts. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That was a real event that took place. People witnessed it. They experienced it. And out of that experience, there was action taken. They were commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord by Peter. And indeed, you could say Peter had a revelation. He, he even had maybe something a little deeper. He went, I think it calls it a trance. He had a, a thing where, where he was expounded to the way of God more perfectly through that trance. God informed him of some things and some persuasions he had that needed correcting. And that was a revelation and experience that Peter had that affected his, his it was a life-changing experience. And many of you could probably testify to having life-changing experiences. Tradition, maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. This sort of has a bad connotation because there's, there's probably more spoken in the, in the words of Jesus. He spoke very, uh, very negatively about some of the traditions of the Pharisees. Where he said, you are making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. The washing of pots and cups and many such like things you do. Full well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own tradition. I see that tradition could have... That thing where you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. I see it possibly as Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. A reputation, a system that you could say our system in our 
theology and in our, in our exposure of that theology to the world involves a lot of using the names of past men of faith. We, can, we consider um, great men and we put them up on a, pedest- a pedestal, so to speak, and we begin to exalt the man, the name. Even we, with our, our, with our uh, tradition, I guess you could say, of calling ourselves Mennonites. Mennonites. Other denominations take names of other men and put them out there. I'm not saying that's all wrong, but it can become a trap and a and a um, a crutch that we lean on. Whereas we could be focusing more on who Christ is, and I realize we have to sometimes navigate these things in wisdom and understanding. But let's be watchful and strengthen the things that remain in that counsel that comes to us from Revelation chapter 3. The things that remain, I think, are the the eternal aspects of the work of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God upon our lives. Now, tradition, I don't want to leave it hanging on on a bad note. 1 Corinthians talks about keeping the ordinances. 2 Thessalonians talks about holding the tradition. And it it speaks of those who would walk disorderly who do not walk after the traditions. But I think in that sense the word tradition is, is speaking could be better translated doctrine or the teachings we have given to you and handed down. And there are, there are many extra-biblical practices that we hold on to with, with appreciation. <clears throat> but I think understanding how we've been raised, the, the tradition, the impact that has on a person, can uh, influence the way we interpret Scripture. And, and so maybe in a, in, a, in a wrong way. I'll just leave that there. Number three, reason, our intellect, our rationale, and our logic. Logic is a valid factor in how we, in how we order our lives and how we approach a problem. I know this is true because Moses used logic to appeal to God. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 14. God was ready to dispose of the people because of his wrath and because of his, their disobedience. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed unto them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said unto the Lord, Then the Egyptians shall hear it, for thou broughtest up this people in thy might from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, for they have heard that thou, Lord, art among this people." and that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, and that thy cloud standeth over them, and that thou goest before them by daytime in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if thou shalt kill all this people as one man, 
Then the nations which have heard the fame of thee will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring this people out of the land which he sware unto them. Therefore he has slain them in the wilderness. Wouldn't you say Moses was interceding on behalf of the people based not so much on emotion, but on logic? Look, Lord, what will happen. Now imagine this. The, a man, Moses, is, is appealing to God on that basis. And I believe Moses had a heart for the people of God. Amazingly, he interceded for them. In verse 17, he beseeched the Lord, Let the power of my Lord be great. Notice this, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. Notice Moses appealed to the Lord on logic, but he also appealed to the Lord based on something the Lord himself had said in his word. You ever notice how often that is done in a in a debate or in a hearing or in an argument before a court that one side will bring out their argument or their their case based on what the person themselves on the other side had said. <laughs> it's a good tactic. It, it works, and I think it's one we can employ with our God. We can appeal to his own promises in his word that he has given us. Thankfully. Does it seem right? I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's the concept of how reason or rationale is useful in, a, in another um, verse here that, that has stood out to me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the love chapter, verse 5. It says, charity does not behave itself unseemly. Unseemly. Where's, where's the rule for what is seemly or not? And I see that word as meaning appropriate or, or becoming. You know, is, is it proper? Does it seem right? There's a place for us to consider that in our councils and as a brotherhood. It's not just me. It's, it's as a, a, a brotherhood effort, I believe, in many regards. But we're called to step into those arenas of maybe where it's not where we don't know. And some people like things black and white. They want to know. But sometimes we have to discern these things. In Acts 15, 25, it said it seemed good to us to do so and so. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to do thus and so. Now, this is only possible and the results are only good if your mind is renewed. You know, an ungodly mind is not going to be able to, to walk properly in that avenue in the Spirit of God. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That is the way of the ungodly. 
It is not enough to have intellectual knowledge of the word. You must mix it with your faith. We read the scripture. We read the scripture not always because it makes sense or believe it because it makes sense. We read it to build faith. That is the purpose of scripture is to build your faith. And I think out of that, the reasoning will follow. The proper reasoning will come about. God wants your faith even when it doesn't make sense. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you have a lot of things that are good. You have a lot of doing. It is not diminishing. I don't think it's meant to diminish those things. It's saying to mix it with charity. In fact, it is exalting the things it mentions to make the point. To have the gift of prophecy, to understand all mysteries and knowledge. We don't throw that away just because it's in this passage. We don't throw away the bestowing of my goods to feed the poor. Any of those things. It's simply saying we need to have the charity to back it up. Knowledge is important. The Bible says his truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. At the time when we need that shield and we need that protection, that armor of God upon us, knowing the truth is very needful in that setting. Second Timothy 3.14 says this, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, knowledge, and have been assured of. I would say the assurance part of it might fall in the category of experience. The things you have been assured of. Sometimes that doesn't take just one day for that to happen. It has to go through testing for that to come about and to be assured of those things. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Of the whom thou hast learned them speaks to me that the things we teach or preach, it does matter who's sharing that message to some extent, that is going to have at least half of the impact upon us. I think we need to give consideration to who is speaking. What is their life and conversation? And the other side of that is, we're told in, in Scripture that our message, my speech and my preaching was not in word only, but in power. It wasn't just these robotic voices you hear sometimes when you call when. They could be saying the truth. Is that really where the power is? And that, that brings some, I think, humility to any office where you, have, where, where you have a platform to be able to project the word of God. Are you doing it in power and in strength and in the spirit of the Lord in the way he would have you to do it? 1 Corinthians 2, 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. 1 Thessalonians says, Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and much assurance. 
as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. So it's not just intellect. It's not just information, even if it's true. It's not just data. It's not just a formula. It's not saying recite this sinner's prayer. Jesus said, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, Peter, but it is my Father which is in heaven. Peter had a revelation. He had a revelation of who Jesus was. I like the prayer in Ephesians 1, chapter 17. And this is a prayer. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is a spirit. And revelation in the knowledge of him. Let's couple these things together in the, in the order and in the place that they have in our lives. In other words, I think the purpose of knowledge is to move us, to lead us into that spirit of wisdom and revelation. 2 Corinthians 6, 7 says, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. That sounds like we're ready to do something. Left-handed or right-handed, right? Are we pressing into the land? Are we claiming the promises? Are we engaging in the good use of judgment and judging ourselves so that we would not be judged? And in relation to being judged, judging ourselves, there's, there's a lot you could say concerning that. But, you know, Jesus said, what, what measure you meet, it shall be meted to you again. What judgment you judge, we think, well, that's to keep us from saying anything bad about somebody because it might come back on us. How about a proper judgment? If we evaluate others in a good light, because this works on both sides of the spectrum, that same judgment God says he will impart to us. Let's judge righteously in the things of God. Because God, with our faith, when we couple the things of God and walk in faith, he will bring, he will work something new in our life. How do y'all know that? Is because the stories in the Bible would reveal. And I'm just going to share one story. What about the lady, the lady that needed healing? And she said within herself, if I may but just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. Where did she get that understanding? I don't know that it was in the law or in the prophets or in any kind of teaching. But her faith reached out into that measure and it brought something to pass that would not have otherwise come to pass. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let us walk in that strength to use it in a positive way. Let's don't give all these tools to the enemy. Let's take the treasures of darkness for our own. Caleb said, let us go up at once to possess the land, for we are well able to overcome it. And I love something Caleb said in that setting. He said, their defense is departed from them. Their defense is departed from them. In the name of the Lord, that's what we declare. Jesus said, I have seen Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Isn't that a precious promise we can claim? Victory. Isn't that the message of the word of God to us? I say, be like Caleb. We declare the defeat of our foe. Another character that stands out to us, I think, in Scripture is the man Joseph. 
Why? Because I don't see any large downfall, like a crossing a line, like we do with some of the other characters. But Joseph was said he was a fruitful bough by a well. His branches went over the wall. The archers have surely grieved him. They shot at him, they hated him, but his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. That is our hope. If we have Christ in us, he is the hope of glory. The, the king Saul faced quite a different scenario. The archers shot at him too, and he died. So it's not so much what's happening to us, it's what we have on the inside. There's many arrows that come our way. God says, do not be afraid of the arrow by day. The arrow by day is meaning something that's coming to us, I think, by intent, right? If it's by day, they're seeing who they're shooting at. Let's go to a final passage here that has stood out to me just recently in Numbers chapter 17. This comes after a lot of the failures of Israel. They failed this way. They failed that. They provoked the wrath of God at least six times, I counted, including all this thing with Korah, the matter of Korah, it talks about, that died in that plague that followed even their destruction by the opening up of the ground, and God's wrath went out. Interestingly, in chapter 16, i got to mention this. Normally when God's wrath began to fall out of her, he threatened to do a thing. Moses spoke to the Lord and interceded verbally to the Lord. Notice in verse 46, this plague began to happen and consume the people of God. Moses did not even bother to speak to God. He recognized that God's wrath had broken out, and he, he called to Aaron. He said, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly into the congregation make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. I see some discernment there on Moses' part to where he recognized the wrath of God. This was no time to speak to the Lord and to try to intercede for the Lord. But there was action he could take. And he took the action to where Aaron ran into the midst of the congregation and he, he stayed that plague. He stood between the dead and the living. The atoning power of God, God saw that action. There was no verbal, <clears throat> verbal um, communication there, but that stood out to me, that Moses took that action on his own initiative, believing that that would solve the Lord's wrath, which it did, even though many died. But as you go into chapter 17, we, this whole chapter here, it's not real long, but it devotes itself to how Aaron's rod budded. Most of us realize that that happened in Scripture. <clears throat> Do we know the reasoning behind this, why God set this up and, and did this for the people? Verse 5, it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. So God had called each of the, the uh, 
fathers and the princes of each tribe to bring forth a rod. So there were 12 rods there that they set in the sanctuary, in the tabernacle. And out of those 12 rods, Aaron's rod blossomed. It bloomed. God said this would happen. And Moses went in there the next day. In verse 8, it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. Now, what does this say to me? What's, what's in it for me? And, and, you know, you could say, well, that was a miracle. People were supposed to see the power of God and realize the power of God. Had he not shown that power beforehand, what was it about that that God said, I'm going to make cease these murmurings and these disputings against me? In other words, I'm going to try to bring this to a conclusion by this act and by this miracle. And I'm not sure if that caused all the murmurings to cease, but I think to me that what it spoke to me is maybe we're facing murmurings in our life, either from within or from the enemy, disputing things that are rallying us up, maybe conflicts that are coming to us and unanswered questions. Notice how that rod blossomed and bloomed. Now, the lesson I'd, I would like to draw for us from that is that our life, is a, is a life that is to be fruitful. We are to bloom. We are to blossom, bring forth these almonds, whatever the fruit is, the fruit of the Spirit. And if we do that, if we do that, I think it will silence and still the enemy and the avenger, the accuser of the brethren in our lives, and even maybe from people. Let's bear fruit. That's going to be a significant testimony to, the, to our lives and to other people who are watching. God bless you.